take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, in James chapter 2 tonight. Our fifth lesson, our fifth study, as we work our way through the book of James. In James chapter 2 this evening, we're going to look at from verse 14 down to the end of the chapter. As we talk about faith that doesn't work is dead. A few months ago, we had some uh, neighbors across the alley from where we live who were criminals, allegedly. And uh, one of them uh, decided to uh, try to steal my truck. And they found out, Brother Jim, the batteries were dead. I've never praised the Lord so much that the batteries were dead, ever. I, uh, if I tried to start it and the batteries were dead, I would have smacked my son-in-law for not unhooking the batteries, but he didn't. So it's his, he, i got to thank him because it didn't get stolen. But they tried to start it, they, they got into it, but it would not start because it was dead. And faith that doesn't work or doesn't start is dead. The Bible says in James chapter number 2 and verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth the prophet? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man, that faith uh, without works, uh, wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers, and it sent them out another way, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And let's pray together tonight. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, this truth this evening. Lord, sometimes that can be a confusing truth. Lord, I thank you that you are not the author of confusion. And Lord, I pray, dear Holy Spirit of God, you would lead us and guide us in all truth as you promised to do. Lord, would you help us tonight to understand this matter of faith and dead faith. Lord, I pray that you would work in us and through us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. Lord, just help us tonight. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If you will, we could say tonight that it is fruitless. It's fruitless for us to say that we have faith if our faith is not demonstrated by good works. That's what the Bible tells us here uh, in James 2, verses 14 through 17. And then verse 20 and verse 26, all those verses bear out that thought or that truth about faith this evening. Our faith must work, otherwise we have no right to say we have faith. Now, before you uh, stone me tonight, bear with me as I make an introduction and get to the truth this evening. Martin Luther, a man who realized that he'd been lied to by the Catholic Church, unfortunately a man who, uh, although he received some truth, did not go far enough into truth and held on to traditionalism, uh, Martin Luther was very concerned about the letter of James in the Bible. He even called it, Mr. Luther would call it, an epistle of straw. 
Undoubtedly, one of the reasons was that he felt it contained no exposition of the gospel. But mainly, Luther's struggle and Luther's problem was that he believed and felt that the letter of James seemed to contradict some other passages, namely passages penned by Paul, making that salvation is not by faith, but by works. Now, we know tonight that the Bible is perfect. We know that it is whole and wholly joined together. Uh, we know that it agrees with itself in every situation. So we start from the premise tonight of understanding uh, doctrinally that the book of James, the letter of James, is not an anti-epistle. Uh, it is not an epistle of straw. Uh, it is not teaching another salvation or another gospel. Uh, now, as you, if you will, hold your place in James. Turn to Romans 4, and let's just see one of these passages as a balance, and then we'll come back to it in just a moment. Romans chapter 4. In verse 1, the Bible says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof your glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, go back to our text with me to James chapter 2 and verse 21. The Bible says, we read again here, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now, hold on a second. Pastor, there, there has to be a conflict. Uh, maybe Martin Luther was right. Maybe there's a struggle, a conflict here of which is true. But can I tell you tonight that very easily as we look at Scripture, as we look line upon line, precept upon precept, as we look at truth and discover the richness of the Word of God, we understand the reconciliation of these two passages together. So how do we reconcile the, the passage in Romans that says we're justified by faith apart from works, and the other here in James that tells us that we're justified by what we do. Now, I want to give you some reasons tonight why there is no contradiction, and, and I want us to have a good understanding of Bible doctrine here when it comes to justification, when it comes to God's purpose for works in our life, and as we understand faith a little better. Uh, number one, faith in Christ as a personal Savior is essential to salvation. Faith in Christ as a personal Savior, is essential to salvation. Why faith in Christ? Why not faith in the church? Why not faith in a, uh, a man? Why not faith in a leader? Why not, why not faith in a feeling? Faith in Christ, why? Because he is the only Savior. The church is not the Savior. There is no religion that is a Savior. There is no prophet, priest, or king that is a Savior, save the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah tells us that. John 10, 9 tells us that. John 14, verse 6 tells us that. Acts 4, verse 12 tells us that. Over and over and over through Scripture, there is only one Savior. He alone, He alone, Jesus Christ alone, accomplished salvation and redemption for us. Now, if we ask the question that we find in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, the Bible tells us in verse 30, and brought them out, this is the Philippian jailer, uh, Brother Bonnie, not the Filipino jailer, but the Philippian jailer, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a pretty important question. Probably the most important question a man has ever asked. That makes this next verse one of the most important truths that every person who ever breathes breath on planet earth has to know. It says in verse 31, and they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Notice it doesn't say pray. Now, 
when I was a young person and I came to understand my need of a Savior, I prayed and called upon him as my Savior. But can I tell you, it was that belief that led me to call on him that saved me. It was not some magic word that I said. It was not a prayer. It was belief. It is belief, faith, belief in Christ as a personal Savior uh, that is the way to salvation. In the New Testament, there are at least, and there may be more, at least, I think I undershot here just a little bit, but there are at least 150 passages which give us, contain the truth that salvation is believing. And by faith, those two words, by the way, are synonymous, uh, believing or faith, uh, the one word being the exact synonym of the other. Now, there are a few examples. We won't turn there tonight. I'll read them to you if you want to write a couple references down. John 3.16, you know that passage. Acts 13, verse 38 through 39. Romans 1.16, Romans 3.26, Romans 5.1, Romans 10, 9 through 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Bring us to the point of understanding that faith in Christ as a personal Savior is essential to salvation. Now, not works for Christ, but faith in Christ. And there's a big difference. The Bible says, many will say unto me in that day, have I not done this? Have I not done that? Have I not done this? And the the passage goes on to say, and he will say unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. But I did something for you. He didn't say, do something for me. The Bible says, believe in in me. The answer uh, to the Philippian jailer, believe, believe, believe. I said, number one, faith in Christ as a personal Savior is essential to salvation. If you remove that out of the equation, there's no salvation. Number two tonight, personal faith in Christ is the only condition is the only condition on which God saves. That's it. Salvation is totally apart from human works. Totally apart from human works. We are saved by faith alone, plus nothing. By the way, minus nothing. It must be faith. Faith in the gospel. What's the gospel? The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith alone, plus nothing. We're not saved by faith plus our best efforts. By the way, you're not saved by faith plus prayer. You're not saved by faith plus keeping the law. You're not saved by faith plus being a good boy or good Christian. You're not saved by faith plus reading the Bible, plus dressing right, plus talking right, plus keeping all the laws. The Pharisees tried to keep them all. I mean, they take and they go in their spice drawer at home. And they'd weigh out the mint. (laughs) Okay, I got to take one-tenth of that and tithe. And we laugh at that and say, well, that's ridiculous. But they did try to keep the laws, and yet as much as they tried to find the smallest law to keep, their keeping the law gave nothing for them. The Bible says they were whited sepulchers, sepulchers full of dead men's bones. I've got in my office, I've got a deer mount You don't know how many times people have asked me over the years, Pastor, is that real? And I want to say, yeah, don't move real fast. It might wake up and bite you. Uh, Now, it once was real. I mean, the the fur, the hide on that deer, that's, that's the fur. That's the suit it was wearing when I met him. I met him on Thanksgiving Day, 1996. Uh, It was a very short meeting. And the antlers there, those are, those are his antlers. They're, the, they're the, real, the real deal. But that skin was taxidermied and tanned and wrapped around a, a foam form and glass eyeballs were put in and it was all formed to make it look real. But it's dead. I eat that deer over a quarter of a century ago. Uh, that deer died before some of you were born in here tonight. Uh, It's not alive. It's dead. Now, you can have the most expert taxidermist in all the world. 
that does all the tricks that they can do to make an animal amount look real and alive, but it still doesn't make it alive. And can I tell you, Christian, that works do not make me alive. It is faith, personal faith in Christ. It is the only condition by which God saves. I'll read very quickly for you over just a couple of pages in the book of Jude, Jude 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Gone the way of Cain. Can I tell you that our religious culture of our day have gone the way of Cain? Cain said, God, I want to do something. I want to show you how good I am. I want to show off my goodness and my works. Look what I've done. And God said, I have not respect unto you. But, but you need to accept what I've done. That's my way. I'm bringing my best to you. God, you've got to accept me as I am. No, he does not. We live in a culture today that is programming your young people, your children and your grandchildren to believe that God will accept us however we want to come to him. But can I tell you that goes against this book. That's the way of Cain. The way of Cain is you're going to take me the way I am. You're going to accept me the way I am. And God said no. But he said sin lieth at the door, Cain. I believe literally outside the tent of Cain's tent, outside the door there was a lamb that the Lord had there waiting for Cain to take and kill and to sacrifice. And Cain said no. I'll come my way. That's our culture today. I'll come my way. I'll do it my way. But my way doesn't lead to God. Works, my goodness, religiosity does not lead to God. It leads to death. Faith is the only way. As I mentioned, the Pharisees, they thought they were better than everyone else, and yet they were on the same level, the same level a sinner in need of a Savior. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of your works, but by faith. No, no works involved. By faith alone. Faith alone. By grace alone. Understand, Mr. Luther, as I mentioned, he came out from such false doctrine and teaching and he got a hold of that truth by faith alone. And I praise God he understood that truth. But there were many things Mr. Luther just didn't quite grab a hold of. It is by faith alone, by grace alone. Number three tonight, as we reconcile and understand the book of James in light of the book of Romans, Saving faith, number three tonight, saving faith begins when we hear the message of the gospel. Saving faith begins when we hear the message of the gospel and believe that God is both able and willing to save us. I'll never forget sharing the gospel with a young Latin king gangbanger on the streets of Chicago a young man with tear tattoos down both sides of his face, wearing the colors of the Latin King uh, street gang, having the tattoos and all of that. And I gave him a gospel track, and I said, here, I said, take this. It'll tell you that how God loves you, and Jesus died for you, and how you can know for sure when you die you're going to heaven. And he, it's not for me. I said, no, I want you to have it. I said, I'll tell you how God loves you. And he's, no, not for me. He said, God can't love me. God can't forgive me. I looked at him and I said, son, are you worried about those people you've killed? <laughs> he backed up. He said, what do you mean? I said, I know what those tattoos stand for. I said, I know you got a past. I said, I don't know all you've done. I said, but I'm sure there are many things you've done in your life that you think God can't forgive you for. And it wasn't long until real tears flowed down beside of those tattooed tears. And I finally explained to him that not only could God save him, but God wanted to. Until we understand that God is able, 
and willing, we will never have saving faith. Ever. So vital we understand that in the book of James. I'm sorry, the book of Romans. I'm going to go back there very quickly. Just read a verse for you, Romans 10, 17. <clears throat> so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By the way, that's why the Bible is so important. It's vital. God gave us our testimony. But our testimony is not lose its power and its efficacy without the word of God. It is the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The message of the gospel, we see it throughout scripture. Romans 10, 13, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Understand, faith, the saving faith we're talking about tonight. As we begin, and we're going somewhere, we're building a bit of a foundation tonight. Saving faith is a matter of belief. Belief. That's what faith is. It's believing. It's accepting. Uh, it's a matter of receiving truth, accepting truth, and resting on that truth. Now, I can believe with my head. I can believe, I can read the word of God. I can believe there was a man named Jesus. I, I can believe much of the Bible and die and go to hell. We'll give you a couple of examples tonight. There was a woman in the book of Mark Chapter 5 and verse 25, it says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she heard that Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Can I tell you that when she came to Jesus, she believed he was able to heal her. But that believing did not heal her. It was Jesus. It goes on to tell us in verse 32, and he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But when the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done to her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. she had to not only hear the message that Jesus was coming, but she had to believe till she was willing to accept that he was the answer. You know, Brother Gerald had a couple million dollars. Do you have a couple million dollars, Brother Gerald? You, don't, you can tell me later. You can tell me now. If you had a couple million dollars cash laying around the house, Miss Carroll came to him and said, I don't trust this kind of money being in the house. You need to make it safe. Keep it safe. And so he finds out that there's a bank that's very secure. He can take that money to the bank. It's going to be secure. They can guarantee his money. And yet he keeps the money in his mattress. Now, if he keeps the money in the mattress, it's probably because he doesn't necessarily believe or trust that the bank can really keep his money safe. If Brother Krim gets a toothache, I hope you don't, Brother Krim. If Brother Krim gets a toothache tomorrow, he's in horrible pain. Halfway through January, he's still in tremendous pain. And his dear wife says, Krim, you need to go to the dentist. If you go to the dentist, he can pull that tooth out of there. You won't have pain anymore. He hears the message from his loving wife, and he doesn't go. Now, he can hear it. He can say, yes, yes, sweetheart, I, I believe you. I believe the dentist is good. But he sits at home <laughs> in pain. 
Can I tell you that there's not real belief and trust there? Now, as we think of saving faith, and we're going to get transition just a little bit here. But number four, let me share this truth with you. Number four, saving faith is our act of putting faith in Christ, believing He is able and willing to save us. Now, that's saving faith. Saving faith is trust. It's commitment. It's heart faith. Romans, the book of Romans, and I read just a moment ago, chapter 10, verse 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, the illustrations I gave, if Carol comes to Gerald and says, hey, you need to take the money to the bank, it's safer there. But the Gerald goes there, we see his faith is there in the bank, he puts his faith there. Same with Karim going to the dentist. Now, faith without works is dead, or if you will, fruitless. When we think of the book of James, the book of James is not speaking about us doing a work to earn salvation or to gain a right relationship with God. Rather, it is a picture of our faith in Christ being put to life or living. I've got a scar here on my arm somewhere. Brother Darren helped heal it up. You see that scar right there? Brother Darren did that. Well, he surgerized it for me. We were together on Labor Day. We were laboring, weren't we, Brother Darren? We were laboring together, and uh, we were hunting. And I killed a deer. Brother Darren was mad because he didn't have a deer. And I said, okay, you, you, just, you go find a deer. I'm going to stay here and deal with this deer, uh, all the, the dirty work you got to do. And I said, you go see if you can find a deer. So he left me. Can you imagine that, Mark? Just left me there on the side of the road, middle of nowhere, all alone, almost bled to death. And I walked over to my deer. My deer was dead. You know, laying there, you know, the little crosses in the eyes like in the cartoons. It was dead. I'd already watched its spirit leave its body. I mean, it was done. Hope you know I'm joking. Anyway, it was, it was, it was dead. So I pulled out. I didn't have a knife with me. Pulled my, pulled my knife out, had it in my hand. I walked over, and I was going to remove the insides to the outside, uh, all of that kind of dirty work. And I realized it was facing the wrong way, so I grabbed the legs and went to spin it around. And as I grabbed that deer's legs, it came to life. It was not dead. Now, it may have been almost dead, but Brother Jim, it was not dead. And as its final assault on me, it kicked its legs and that knife went right into my arm. And I grabbed my arm, and I'm, Darren's driving away. I'm like, Darren, done! He, just, he didn't listen. He just drove away, uncaring, unconcerned. He hates me. And praise the Lord, he came back, and we got it all cleaned out, and I lived. I didn't die. I know you were waiting to find out. It was a very, you were worried if I died or not. But that deer was not alive, and then it was. It was very much alive. I'm afraid many times our faith looks like dead faith. Our faith for salvation is simply belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not faith plus works. The Bible tells us plainly many, many times in Scripture that's not the case. So faith Number five, let me give you this, and I'll continue the thought. Faith is not real in saving faith unless it results in good works. The evidence of true faith. In other words, this book of James is speaking here. Look at verse 14 as we understand a little bit. What doth it profit? What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? 
In other words, where is the profit to the claims? Where's the reality? Where is the life? You know, I can go in my office where there's that deer stuffed on the wall, and if I was a good ventriloquist, I could pretend to talk. Now, I've, ever, I've never met a talking deer, Miss Lois, but I could talk for that deer, and I could try to trick someone to believe in it was real. I remember seeing cartoons when I was a kid. How many of you remember that? The old cartoons, like from the 30s and 40s, where they'd have a, an animal mounted on the wall, and the other part of the animal is on the back side of the wall. The animal's still alive. Uh, I could try to pretend that was true, but that, that deer's dead. By the way, the same thing, a lost person who has no saving faith can go through the mechanisms and motions of work but they're nothing more than a dead puppet. There is no life. There is no life. This verse in verse 14 is the key verse of this passage. What doth it profit? In other words, how can my faith be profitable? By the way, not profitable for me, profitable for others. How can I profit other people? You see, my works don't profit me or my salvation at all. It doesn't add anything at all. But my works with my faith profit those around me. It shows forth a living, a real faith that is alive that is valuable. If we take Abraham for an example, I won't have you turn back there, but we could turn to Genesis 22. In verses 1 through 19, we see that Abraham was anxious to have a son. God promised him a son. Abraham believed God's promise. Now, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you believed in him. You believe God's word, and just as Abraham, the Bible says it was counted unto him for righteousness. Not what he did, what he believed. Our belief is counted unto us for righteousness. Now, God promised that through Isaac, Abraham would have more children than the sand on the beach and the stars of heaven. And yet, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. Brother Ocampo, do you have any other sons? How many do you have? Just, just this one or one other, two together. Oh, so you could sacrifice him. That'd be okay. But you wouldn't want to sacrifice your other son because you love him. And, you know, Abraham didn't have two sons. He had one. And he had waited a long time. To have one. He had one shot. And God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham was not counted righteous because he was willing to sacrifice his son. Was not because he raised the knife. The God said, okay, you win. You're righteous now. I saw what you did. But can I tell you that Abraham's faith became very valuable to me. And to you. Us seeing the living fruit of Abraham's faith is an encouragement still thousands of years later to you and to me. It was his obedience by faith. Christian, the book of James is about us living our faith. It's about us in chapter 2 of James living out our faith in such a way that our faith is profitable for others. When I got saved, my salvation didn't affect anybody else as far as can't take anybody else to heaven. But my faith can still be profitable to others. My belief, I can't believe for you. You can't believe for me for salvation. Uh, I can't pray for someone and someone else to receive Christ. Every person has to place their own faith in Christ. But my faith can be profitable outside of just for my salvation as I show my faith 
with works. Rahab, Joshua chapter 2, the harlot. Can I tell you that that harlot will be named in the lineage of Jesus Christ? The harlot who received those men in, who said, I know who you are. We've heard of you. By the way, 40 years before, what she had heard was 40 years before about them crossing the Red Sea. It was highly likely that Rahab, most likely, was not even alive yet when they crossed the Red Sea. Most likely as a little girl, Rahab had the story of the Israelites rehearsed to her by her parents and by her grandparents. She'd heard about them. She never met them. But she believed in their God. She said, I believe. I believe. God spared her. But can I tell you, God spared more than her because of her belief. Because she acted on her belief. Because she showed forth her faith by her works. Those men were saved. The nation of Israel would march around the walls of Jericho and the walls would come tumbling down. Yes, she would be saved. By the way, her parents, her family would be saved. Those men would be saved. Why? Because her faith was acted out and that faith became profitable not just to her, but to others. She lived in Jericho, believed the reports she heard. See here in Hebrews 11, Joshua 2, verses 10 through 11. Those spies were affected by a living faith. By a living faith. We find in the last part of James 2, three New Testament examples of faith being demonstrated by works. We see there these who are showing forth their faith. I want you to look very quickly with me at three passages, and we'll be very quick about it. Look at Luke chapter 19 with me. Luke chapter 19. So we understand salvation is by grace through faith. It, it's, it's saving faith is by me believing, hearing the gospel, the truth of the word of God, believing God is able and willing to save, and me accepting that by its belief. That's all it is. It is the same thing. Faith, belief, the same thing. That's all that is necessary, the only thing necessary, the only thing God accepts for salvation. The book of James is not teaching a work salvation or a merit-based salvation or earning my way to heaven. Rather, it is a teaching that for my faith to be profitable to other people, it needs to show forth. I've got a dog at home that likes to sleep and lay around. My wife has a husband that likes to do that too. He doesn't get to do it as much as the dog. But I've said to my girl several times, I've looked over and jokingly said, I think he's dead. I'm pretty sure he's dead. And I'll watch very carefully and I'll just see the slightest the lungs aspirating just a little bit. Oh, no, no, he's still alive. But sometimes he looks dead. Wives, how many times does your husband look dead when he's in a recliner? My, my girls have seen me many times. I'm sure they've thought, oh, my goodness, our dad's dead. Uh, but I'm just sitting in the recliner. When I die, I'm sure my mouth's going to be open because that's how I sleep. But sometimes we look dead, but we're alive. Our faith, which is alive, can be shown forth as alive to others by works. Look, if you will, at Luke 19 and verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, was this what saved Zacchaeus? No. Remember Zacchaeus? Climbed up in the sycamore tree. I got a friend who pastors in Redding, California. His name is Kirk, dear friend of mine. Kirk is about this tall. He's a short fella. And a short, stocky guy. He was in Israel a couple weeks ago. He put a picture on Facebook. He was standing beside a sycamore tree in Israel. And in the post, he wrote, it was a tree like this that my hero climbed up to see Jesus. And I guess Zacchaeus is his hero. He's a short fella. Some of you, my wife, Zacchaeus, is probably her hero too. But Zacchaeus climbed up in that tree, wanted to see Jesus. Jesus had come down. I'm going to your house. That day, Zacchaeus believed. But something else happened. Zacchaeus' belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, looking forward to what Christ was yet going to do on the cross, was what saved Zacchaeus. But can I tell you the work of Zacchaeus in saying, Lord, I've wronged my fellow man. He was a tax collector. He said, I want to make it right. I want to pay him back. I want to do this. We have no idea the impact that Zacchaeus' faith being lived out made in his community. Imagine that. Imagine the stir when a tax collector showed up and said, hey, I robbed you. Here, I'm going to pay you back more than I gave you. <laughs> What's going on here? No, there's no trick. I'm not trying to trick you. I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to honor him and I want to do what's right. Can, can you imagine the power of that kind of a testimony? Zacchaeus' faith lived out, that living faith shown forth by works. Look, if you will, at Acts chapter 16. We'll look at two passages here in Acts 16 and we'll close tonight. Acts 16, verse 14. The Bible speaks of a lady named Lydia here. Verse 14, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If I have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. I'm not sure that we'll understand till we get to heaven the ripple that Lydia caused by her faith being lived out. She didn't just receive the gospel, she did, and it was just her hearing what Paul preached and believing it, she was saved. That was it, it was settled. But she was baptized by obedience. That work or baptism was not added to count for her salvation. Rather, it was a visible representation to those around her in that culture, that pagan culture. A seller of purple, a reasonably important woman said, I believe Jesus and I want to live out my faith. She also said, not only that, I'm going to invite these preachers to come. I'm going to take care of their needs. And a church was started there in the house of Lydia. You understand the works that came forth out of a real faith had a great impact. I'm not talking about for Lydia's salvation. I'm not talking about she's going to have some high seat in heaven because of it. I'm talking about there are others who are in heaven now, whose her faith had an impact in then coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, as we even read this passage, today it impacts us today. Look, if you will, down at verse 30. Same passage, Acts 16. We looked at this already, but I want you to see the impact of this. 
and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. And to all that were in his house. Don't miss that statement. Where was the jailer when he asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't in his house. He was in the jail. Can I tell you that he had already believed? So, Pastor, how do you know the Philippian jailer had already believed before Paul here spoke to all his house? Because he took Paul to his house, a criminal destined for death. Why did he do that? Was that what saved him? No. The answer, verse 31, very simply, believe. He did believe, and yet, because of belief, we see him living out that belief as he brings Paul, a prisoner, to his own house and says, hey, tell him what you told me. Tell him what you told me. And all his house was saved and that same night we're baptized. The impact of him living out his faith. Verse 34. It says in verse 33, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his house. Straightway. Verse 34, When he had brought them into his house, he said, Meet before them and rejoiced. Believing in God with all his house. Now hold on a minute. I believe this is the same night. All of this happened in a very short time window. The prison opened up. The jailer realized that moment, I am going to die. I, bare minimum, I'm going to lose my job. Most likely, I'll be killed. I'll lose my honor. I'll lose my place in society. And so he's ready to kill himself and Paul said, hey, whoa, 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 don't do that. What must I do to be saved? He believed. He brought Paul to his family. His family believed. The Bible says straightway, immediately they got baptized. He set him down. They ate. He praised God and worshiped God. Morning hasn't come yet. Hold on a minute. He probably lost his job in the morning. Most likely he lost his job. Why isn't he crying? Why isn't he bellyaching the fact that Paul's out of prison? Why isn't he scrambling his wife? I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to make it. The Bible says he's praising God. The impact of his testimony. His whole family saved that man, the Philippian jailer, lived out his faith. Christian, the book of James is not a, not a treatise on salvation. It's a user's manual for the Christian life. Mr. Luther was upset, called it a straw epistle because he felt there wasn't enough gospel there. Can I tell you, the book of James is not about how we receive the gospel. It's about what we do with it and how we live out the gospel and how we profit those around us. Are we trusting Christ? Have you personally trusted Christ as your Savior, believed in Him? I'm not talking about doing some work or joining a church or being baptized. Have you personally believed is your faith alive? Does it look alive to those around you? Does it look alive to your family? Does it look alive to those you work with? Does it look alive to the culture in which we live? Faith that doesn't work is dead and it's useless. You know, tonight if I get out of my house and 
I've got to go somewhere. I'm not going to get inside my F-250. <laughs> it's been setting for almost a year. I'm not going to go start it up and drive somewhere. You know why? Not only are the, not only are the batteries, they were dead. Now they're not even in the truck. Back when we had those folks there, I was worried they were going to get stolen, so I removed them. Uh, it's not going to go anywhere. I'd have to go put the batteries in first. It's dead. Christian, may our faith be alive. And may it be alive and visible to those around us that we can impact our world. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to show forth our faith. God, help us to be solid in the understanding of doctrine of the gospel of salvation. Lord, we spent more time talking about salvation by grace through faith tonight and understanding that faith. Lord, because I want us to have that foundation of understanding. Lord, I pray that we would not just receive and believe. Lord, I pray that we would go on to show forth our faith. Lord, I pray that our faith would be profitable to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. I pray it would be profitable to a lost world. Lord, I think we so often underestimate and undervalue the power that our testimony can have for good or for bad. Lord, I'm often reminded of the words of Mahatma Gandhi when he said, I would be a Christian if it were not for Christians. Lord, help us not to have a faith that looks dead, a faith that hurts the testimony of Christ. But God, may we show forth our faith by our works. May we live out our faith as you live through us, showing forth the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of Christ. Lord, bless us this evening. Lord, help us as we continue to grow and learn together. And Lord, I pray this week, Lord, before we gather back together in the, in the new year, Lord, I pray that we could show forth our faith to someone. You could help us to share Christ with somebody this week. Lord, bless us, dismiss us with your grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.